0: Well, I don't know about you, but I love that song. And often I feel that song like I'm just going around in circles. Maybe it's a conflict with my wife. Maybe it's a disagreement with someone at the office. Or maybe it's in parenting. It feels like a three-ring circus sometimes going around in circles in life. Well, the same thing is true with families. That's why we're doing this series called Shape, where we're trying to look at how to get our family into proper shape with new tools. And today we're looking at The Circle. In fact, it feels like a three-ring circus around Horizon often because we've got online services in one circle. We've got services on the weekend at 9.15 and 10.45. Now we're adding high school students start this week. And just last week, we had a sold-out event for our children's program. In fact, let me show you a few photos of this. It was pretty exciting because we had an escape from Candyland. And the escape from Candyland was an opportunity for families to gather together, social distance, but at least could talk to one another and play some games with one another. And as they were playing games with one another, it was just such a fun event where families could laugh together, interact together, and ultimately escape from Candyland. So as you can see, everyone had a real ball and excitement last week. Well, today we're going to continue in our series. And one of the tools I like to offer you is the tool of a circle we're gonna look at the process of rotating through the circle and what are the stages we can use when we're parenting, when we're confronting, or when we're challenging someone. Because the truth is, as you'll see in this next parable, we all deal with conflict. And if we don't deal with it well, we turn a whole life into a three ring circus. Hope you enjoy. One day a young man named Milo gathered all of his friends with an idea. We're a talented bunch, let's form a circus. He drew three rings in the sand and pointed to all of his pals. Jeff, you're a fine athlete. You can even walk a tightrope. Kim and Kate, you're gymnasts. How about you guys balance on top of one another? <laughs> Tim lifted weights and Wendy could do a handstand. Milo looked toward red-headed Ronnie. You can be our clown. Stacy's dog could do a trick or two, and Jerry offered to juggle some bowling pins. Now Milo declared himself ringmaster, and the group started practicing. Milo painted posters with some bombastic signs and adjectives. He then bought a tent. They were ready to go. He stood out front. Ladies and gentlemen, he beckoned, get your tickets for Milo's marvelous circus. Astonishing acts, magical attractions, feats of agility, wonder, and hilarity. My three ring circus will be the best ever seen, he thought. He rehearsed the cast relentlessly, critiquing every move. If someone made a mistake, he roared, wrong, do it again. He began to resent their lack of talent. Now Ronnie was the first to go. Your act just isn't funny enough, the perfectionist shouted. Get out. Jerry juggled three pins beautifully. But Milo wanted four. He just couldn't do it. You're out of here! And he was gone. Now, soon enough, Milo's shouting scared Stacy's pup. And she left, too. At dress rehearsal, Milo paced frantically, sniping at the remaining friends. Do better, or you'll embarrass me at tonight's world premiere. The exhausted troupe practiced and practiced and practiced. Terrible, he barked. Again! Finally... It was showtime. At showtime, the crowd all showed up, and their audience took their seats. The spotlight was cast, and in that moment, all of a sudden, Milo came out, and he announced. The spotlight cast a perfect circle on the floor, and Milo marched confidently into it. Ladies and gentlemen, behold, I bring you Milo's Marvelous Circus. He turned his heel, sweeping his arm in a broad, inviting gesture. And all of a sudden, Milo gulped as he realized the three rings were empty. Well, I'm not sure things worked out for our ringmaster exactly what he thought. That's why we're looking at the circle today. In fact, in the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to a group of people who have conflict and teaching them different stages of dealing with conflict. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if anyone is overtaken... That's stage one of our circle. At some point, we're going to be overtaken with gossip, with lust, with selfishness, etc. When somebody's overtaken in a trespass, that's when you actually give in to the trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are more mature, your goal is to restore people who are in that circle with a spirit of gentleness. So we all go through the circle. We get overtaken. We end up being tempted. We end up needing accountability with gentle truths so that we can be restored, right? So those are the stages the Bible talks about. Whether you've ever been caught gossiping or maligning someone, or maybe you've had to, as a manager, call somebody for behavior that was inappropriate in a meeting, we've all done it. And the same thing's true with kids, right? With kids, we've all had to say, hey, honey, you're being selfish, talking to a teenager or even a 20, 30-year-old, hey, what you said the other day really made your mom mad or your dad mad or whatever it is. We've all had to find ways to confront, to guide, to gently nudge people when they get out of alignment. And we need that as well, right? We need managers to clarify expectations, let us know when we've crossed over the line. And one way or another, we end up either hearing the truth gently from someone who loves us or we hit the wall, right? It's the addict that hits the wall and it hurts so bad they have to change, What is the spirit or what is the stages we need to go through to help someone who's caught in a trespass? Well, the secret Paul offers is the idea that helping someone around the circle requires seeing myself in the circle. I need to realize I'm equally capable of being overtaken. I'm equally capable of trespass. I'm equally in need of accountability, and I especially need to be restored. And it's that spirit of grace and forgiveness and gentleness that allows me to come to someone who I might even be ticked off at or mad at and help restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So today we're going to look at those four stages to ask ourselves some inner work before we help our kids our coworkers, our boss, our friends, restore themselves when they get caught in a difficult issue. So let's look at those stages together. The first stage is the stage we are all will find ourselves in eventually, which is we're overtaken, right? We're overtaken by doing something we know we shouldn't have done. The question I want to ask myself when somebody else is overtaken is, Would I be capable of being overtaken by something like this? See, this is why the main message of the Bible extracts the real problem of judgmentalism. It extracts the real problem of self-righteousness. Of course we judge if something's right or wrong. Of course we evaluate if it's good behavior or bad behavior. How could we judge, though, without being judgmental? That's what's getting at here. That's why this question is so crucial. Look at it again, overtaken. Would I be capable of being overtaken by something like this? What causes the ultimate conflict of self-righteousness is when I think I would never do that. I would never be capable of that. And that doesn't create an environment for restoration. Now look how Paul says it. Brethren, let's remember we're a family here. Let's remember we're colleagues here. Let's not forget, though we disagree, we're brothers here. If a person is overtaken, right, something came over them, they weren't thinking right, they weren't behaving right, in any trespass, you who are spiritual, think of that like mature, if you're the mature person, hopefully in a parenting relationship, we're being more mature than our teenagers, more mature than our kids, but the same thing is true in a work environment. You who are more mature should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, lest you too become tempted. So that's the idea here, that the first stage of confronting someone or helping someone be restored after a trespass is to ask yourself a question. And what do I mean? Well, that humility. Can I look inside myself and say, Man, I've done stuff like this. I have been tempted to do stuff like this. I've almost or have been overtaken by those kind of feelings, those kind of thoughts, or those kind of ideas, right? That's the idea of the circle. I need to scope my own life. What's going on in me that I might need to extract self-righteousness-wise so I can approach this maturely? I can't tell you how many times as a parent, I blew up with my kids at whatever age, six, 16, you know, now they're in their 20s, and and I blew up because of some degree of impatience because I thought I knew better than them, which I did at one level, but it turned into self-righteousness rather than gentle parenting. Now, what does it mean to scope yourself? Well, there's a lot of ways to do this. One of the ways we scope ourselves is we see ourselves accurately. I remember my son Quinn was first born. I have a tendency to be a very permission-giving parent. And I've got a real high factor for a risk in my life. So my daughter was playing tennis in those days. And so I brought little baby Quinn to the tennis match. And all the seventh and eighth grade girls wanted to hold little Quinn. Now, I, of course, said, sure. So what did I do? I took Quinn and I handed him to my daughter. And she's holding him, doing a perfectly fine job, and she starts handing it to her friends on the team, which is great. So I'm just enjoying Quinn, being enjoyed by Sierra and all of her uh, teammates. But oh my goodness, did I get death stares from the other moms, right? All these moms around me are just looking at me like, how dare you, that's so unsafe. I can't believe you're putting a child in a stranger's arms. Now, I could feel the judgment. I could feel the looks. I could feel the see them gossiping and whispering at each other, right? But you know what? It didn't bother me because while they were judging me, I was judging them. Look at these overprotective helicopter parents who are never going to let their kids do anything. So see, at one level, I was judging them, look how they're overtaken with fear, blah, blah, blah. But I had to scope myself and say, oh, wow, I'm actually guilty of the very thing I'm judging them for. I'm judging them while they're judging me. And that's what happens often, is we don't take a moment to scope ourselves and say, could I be overtaken by this or have I already been overtaken by this? I'll give you an example recently. Uh, I got a, a boat that I love going out surfing on. So I've got this surfboard that uh, surfs right behind the boat. So I pull into this gas station. I'm filling up the boat. And I got my surfboard loose because I'm about to use it. And I forgot to strap it back down. Well, right next to me in the gas station is a guy who pulls up in kind of a clunky old car. He looks at me and says, how's it going? I thought going great. <laughs> As he turns to look at me, he's got a shirt that says, bite me on it. And I'm there thinking to myself, now that's classy. And in my heart, I'm starting to judge this guy. I'm making all kinds of evaluations about who he is, what kind of person buys a shirt like that, wears a shirt like that. I'm evaluating his car, his lifestyle, all kinds of assumptions. I have now been overtaken with the sin or the trespass of judgmentalism and self-righteousness. Well, I hop in my car, didn't think much of it, start driving down to the marina. And all of a sudden, sure enough, Mr. T-shirt guy pulls up next to me in his car and he starts knocking on the window, waving at me. And I'm like, so I roll down the window and he says, hey, your wakeboard fell out uh, or your surfboard fell out a, a couple blocks back. Uh, you might want to go back and get it. And I'm like, oh man, well, thanks. And all of a sudden it struck me. This guy I had judged, this guy I felt superior to, this person that I had been mocking in my own mind was a kind person who saved me time, energy, and money because I went back and picked up the board that had fallen off my boat. Now, haven't you done that? Maybe in a different way, but what would it look like before we parent, before we confront, to start by scoping ourselves and asking, would I be capable of the same kind of issue, gossip, maliciousness, division, lying, that the person I'm about to address is. Right? So stage one is overtaken. After we're overtaken by these feelings or thoughts, we actually get tempted or trespass, and that's stage two. The second stage is what it means to be tempted. Right? It's one thing to be overtaken, but now I'm tempted, or my kids have given in temptation, a colleague has given in temptation what's the question we need to ask ourselves before entering into a discussion or a dialogue or a disagreement? I think here's the question. Have I been forgiven for this and more? Again, it's going to just take another level of self-righteousness out of it, which is, okay, I've been tempted and needed forgiveness. Might this person have been tempted and need forgiveness? See the difference between that and being punitive? Even in parenting, how often is our parenting punitive? I can't believe you annoyed me. I can't believe that you did this. I can't believe you inconvenienced me. We may not say it that way, but that's what's coming out of us, our nonverbals and our voice. But if instead we pause for a moment and say, have I been forgiven for this and more? It will bring a different tonality, a different gentleness to the temptation. All right, so what does Paul say about this? Well, again, I need to turn to forgiveness, so how do I help this person turn back to forgiveness? Notice, brethren, when anyone gets overtaken by, and notice the word any, any trespass, because many of us have a list in our mind. These are the little things, the things I do, and these are the big things, what they did, what my ex did, what my kids are doing what whatever right but look at how the bible says no if they're overtaken with any trespass it doesn't matter what the size or scope it is i want you to approach it this way and the word trespass you might recognize from the lord's prayer right forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us it's the idea of temptation to trespass to cross over the line He says, when you realize someone's been tempted or trespasses, start by examining yourself. Look how he says it. You who are spiritual or mature, restore, that's the goal, such a one in a spirit of gentleness and consider yourself lest you also be tempted. Tempted to judge, tempted to think you're better than them, tempted to think that you are somehow more forgivable than they would be. Now, several years ago here at Horizon, we had a gathering of leaders who came to hear some of the top speakers in the country at a leadership conference. I remember after the conference that day, we were listening to Joseph. He's the writer of a book called Crucial Conversations. We're having a dialogue in the atrium with leaders discussing how to have better crucial conversations. And Joseph was sharing about how it's the little things that if we don't address it with the right tonality can blow up a marriage or blow up a company. He shared a funny one. He said that one day he just came into the bathroom, finished brushing his teeth, set the brush down, went to bed. His wife followed him into the bedroom and said, this really frustrates me. What? I have asked you so many times not to, when you're brushing your teeth, to rinse off the sink and to get splatter all over the, the, the mirror, could you at least wipe it down? And I feel like you're not listening to me because this is the fourth or fifth time I brought it up. So I immediately got defensive. I explained it wasn't personal, it wasn't I forgot, it wasn't I didn't value her. You know, it was kind of, the, I had this speed brush, and so the speed brush I had had a big battery, and that's kind of what caused the splatter. I made lots of excuses. And she's like, no, it, well, that's, that's ridiculous. And she walked away. Well, he felt, as we all do in these situations, I'm right. She handled this poorly. And he said to himself, you know, I realize I need to help her mature in the way she handled this or didn't handle this well. So he said, I decided to sleep on the couch that night so that she would know and have time to think about what she has done. Right? What's that self-right? I would never have done that. I would never have confronted my wife this way. He said he woke up the next day, the kids got up, They both, he and his wife, pretend like nothing was wrong. They had that perfunctory uh, activity you do when you know you've had a fight and not resolved it. You're kind of handing out dishes and talking around the kids. And then that evening, sure enough, he went back and got in bed, but it was stone-cold silence. Kind of going through the motions of marriage, but not talking about the issue. And he sat there in bed waiting. Surely now she'll realize how much she owes me, the apology she owes me, what she's done wrong. This is a great opportunity now that I'm here for her to finally make things right. Well, to his chagrin, he's laying there in bed waiting for that apology and he starts hearing deep breathing. She's fallen asleep and he can't believe it. He can't believe that she's fallen asleep wasn't taking this moment to apologize for what she said, how disrespectful it was, even after he gave her this incredible education of some space for the last day and a half. And he looked over and he said, and the, the, the light was coming into the window and she just looked hideous, <laughs> just like hideous. This woman who would disrespect me and not appreciate me and not apologize to me. He says, I sat there and I realized, wow, what is broken in me? Having to think about why I married her, why I love her, how I had not been sensitive to her, how I had not responded to her. I started thinking there in that bed that I was the one that was defensive. Maybe I'm the one that owes her an apology. And The next day, well, he said before that, he said before the next day, he said in, in that moment, as he began to examine his own heart, what he need to be forgiven of, the things he had done wrong, he said it was like I looked over it a minute ago, it was like my wife looked hideous, and she looked beautiful again. Just changing his own outlook, changing his own heart, examining his own need for forgiveness changed his outlook on the whole situation. Then the next morning, he looked at her. She got out of bed, you know, felt pretty good, and then realized they were still fighting, her shoulders went up. You know that thing you do when you're kind of tense? And he said, hey, can I talk for a moment? She's like, yeah. He said, I need to apologize. And he could see her shoulders go down. A little more openness, a little more acceptance. He said, you know what? You have told me this many times, and I haven't made it a priority, and I'm sorry. I love you and I want to be more sensitive to you and I'm sorry that I let 48 hours go by before getting to the bottom of this as he shared that day that crucial conversation he gave that personal one and several business ones and we as a, a business team here in the atrium we're talking about how often we don't have a crucial conversation because we haven't created the environment where the people we're talking to feel safe enough That when we confront them, they feel like we're really trying to restore them, not punish them. And we as leaders at the church begin to look at our environments. How do we bring that same tonality of humility, of I'm equally temptable and equally need a forgiveness to bear in our conversations? So we've looked at stage one. What does it mean to be overtaken? Stage two, to be tempted. Now let's look at stage three. Stage three, he talks about considering yourself, and he goes on in verse four and says, let each one examine his own work. Again, examine yourself before you step into this thing. In fact, later in the passage, he says some things about how to distinguish when you're confronting someone. How do you know when something is a temptation and something is somebody just making bad decisions? Like it's a real trespass. I had several people over the years have met me back after a service and said, Chad, I've got a relative who's got an addiction to gambling. I've got a relative who asks everybody in the family for money to feed their medical addiction of overusing prescription drugs. I've heard alcohol, all kinds of different scenarios. And I've said, well, the next verse in Galatians helps give you a tool for knowing the difference between when to help someone and when someone's caught in a trespass. Here's what it says in Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens. Then if you jump down a little bit, he says, but each one shall bear his own load. All right, well, what's the difference between a burden and a load, and how is that helpful? A burden is like a crushing weight, and a load is like a backpack, Every person needs to carry their own backpack. And as our kids develop, as our employees develop, they need to carry their own backpack, which means what? They need to be able to handle their own emotions. Your job, regardless of what happens, is to handle yourself maturely, not to lose your temper or when you do, to go back and apologize. If it comes to addiction or money, there's a crushing weight. Oh, my goodness, look what happened to you in your life. This is a burden. It's a one-time thing. Let's all come around and help lift up this crushing burden. However, if these are day-to-day responsibilities, that's your load. And if I help you with your backpack, your load, I'm going to actually cripple you mentally or psychologically because you're not learning to carry your own weight. So when I shared that that day, it was so helpful for my friend to go, "Okay." So when I'm looking at the situation, is this a temptation? Well, I think this is their load. So they're tempted to be lazy or to be addicted or to push off responsibility. I need to confront here because it's a load they're trying to push off. Or, no, this is a burden. This is a crushing weight. This isn't a trespass issue. I want to step in and help. So I found that very, very helpful from Galatians 6, distinguishing between a load and a burden. Now let's move to the third stage, overtaken, trespass, now accountability. You see, we all need truth to come into our life to be accountable. Sometimes truth comes through consequences when it's too late or it's too painful. We need friends and parents and bosses and colleagues who love us enough to bring truth into our life to hold us accountable before we end up in a shipwreck. So the next stage of accountability speaks to truth. As so we go around the circle, accountability means I need gentle truths spoken to me. And you do too. And that's the question you can ask yourself in these scenarios. How would I want someone to bring an issue like this to me? Meaning what if you are on the other end of this? What if you were the one who got caught gossiping Or sending an email where you said malicious things about someone that was inappropriate. If you had done that, and you know you're capable of it, I know I am too, how would you want someone to confront you? To hold you accountable? To bring the truth to bear in your life? If you think about that idea, then how do I do unto others like I would want them to do unto me? That's the idea he's getting at here in Galatians. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. How? In a spirit of judgmentalism? No. In a spirit of self-righteousness? No. In a spirit of gentleness. Well, where's that gentleness coming from? This person has ticked you off. This person has made you mad. This person has harmed you financially or whatever. That gentleness comes from those questions of extracting the self-righteousness. Would you say you parent out of gentleness? Would you say manage out of gentleness? What is gentleness anyway? I heard a definition one time of gentleness, which means to adjust your grip to the person you're holding hands with. If you're going to shake hands with a three-year-old, you would change your grip. If you were doing a handshake with somebody your age... You might have a firm handshake. Gentleness is adjusting your grip to the circumstances you're in. And we need someone who can bring truth and accountability to us with a spirit of gentleness. Now, the next idea we look at here is restoration. Remember, the goal's not punitive, the goal's to restore people, just like you and I would want to be restored, which is the question. Do I need help being mended at times? In fact, that's what's fascinating about the the concept or the word choice Paul uses here. The idea of being mended, that we're going around the circle to be restored is I was broke, I'm now put back together again. He says, you who are spiritual, restore. And the word restore is the same concept that we might have of putting a bone back together. You ever broken a bone? You ever had a kid? Ever had a grandchild who's broken a bone? When the bone breaks, it has to be reset. So what we're trying to do when we're parenting or confronting someone is reset things into the right place. What's amazing is when that bone heals, if it's set correctly, it can actually heal stronger than it was before. And that's why when we embrace our own brokenness, when we bring truth and accountability into people's lives, we're not trying to punish them as much as restore them and strengthen an area in their life that they might be weak, that they might have had a weak temptation, they might have had a weak conscience, they might have had a weak character quality. So we're trying to restore or mend or put them back together stronger than before. I heard an interesting quote from John Legend. He was describing his kind of journey through relationships and being unfaithful. It was with his current wife that he's finally beginning to embrace faithfulness. But it took accountability. It took a journey of making a lot of mistakes to get to that point. Here's what he says. At a certain point, you just realize you're happier being honest. Not all that lying and deceiving. You're happier being faithful and being in love with one person instead of trying everything else. At a certain point, I just decided that person was Chrissy and I decided I wasn't gonna mess with somebody else anymore. So what happened? Accountability, he got restored. Now what was he restored from? He was restored from being unfaithful, being a liar, being somebody who wasn't dependable to being someone who's now walking on a different path. I loved how honest that was. What would you and I write if we were to say, I need to be mended or restored? What are the weak spots in my character, the weak spots in my will or my thoughts or my emotions? And what level of accountability do I need from God, from others, from the people around me to be restored? Now to do that, I want you to look at maybe four statements. And these four statements I think are helpful in being to diagnose this together. So in your mind, circle one of these on the screen or just think to yourself, what is the thing of these four I most need? So what are those? One, would you circle, I am capable? You say, I would not. I don't think I'd ever be capable. Well, one of the things the main message of the Bible does is it brings humility. Humility. Because it says, whatever you're doing wrong, every trespass has different consequences, but any trespass is equally bad before God. What? Jesus says, to murder someone is bad, but to hate someone in your heart is like murdering them in your heart. He puts them on the same playing field. They're equally bad. Would you maybe need to say to God, God, would you help me see that I am capable of whatever this person did to me and bring humility into my life? Maybe you want to circle the next one. I am fully forgiven. The main message of the Bible is that you can be forgiven of everything you've done. What does that include? Well, it includes past, present, and future. It's in that place that I've been fully forgiven for what I've done that I'm then allowed or allow myself to extend that to work it out with someone else. You're not going to want to work it out or restore someone else if you don't realize how much you've been forgiven for. Third statement. Maybe you want to circle this one. I need accountability. Right? If you're honest, aren't there secrets in your life? There's secrets in my life. There's ways I've gotten wayward. I need accountability, and I need someone who loves me enough to say those truths, say those things gently and firmly. Maybe you need to say I need accountability. So even though I have a tendency to be a people pleaser, that relative, that coworker, that son or daughter needs accountability too. And I need to speak these truths that I've been holding back. Lastly, maybe you want to circle the last one, I need to be restored. Did you know that's the main message of the Bible? Jesus came from heaven to earth to restore us in relationship to God. God was crying from heaven, I want to work it out with you. And I made a way to work it out. Forgiveness through Jesus and leadership and truth in your life. Maybe you wanna pray with God right now and say, God, let's work things out between you and me so that I can be empowered to work it out with others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Give each person listening to this a reminder of their own fallenness and their need for forgiveness. But the promise of your grace God, that you are willing to go to all ends to work it out with them so they could do the same with others. In Jesus' name, amen.